0: Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, more on covering the coronavirus. We've all been watching CNN and MSNBC and reading the New York Times and reading the Washington Post and absorbing the coronavirus coverage, a lot of which is sort of filtered through a national political lens. But what's going on in New York and Washington is only a very, very small part of the coronavirus story around the country and around the world. And it's putting a, a focus on local news outlets and how they're covering it and how their coverage may be different from what we're reading in the national outlets. I'm thrilled to be joined by my colleague, Matthew Ingram, CJR's chief digital writer, who has spent this week on our CJR app called Galley, talking to local reporters around the country on how they're tackling the coronavirus story. Matthew, welcome. Thanks. It's good to talk. So. Tell me what you've learned in these last few days of conversations with people from metropolitan newspapers that are outside of New York and D.C. What have you learned about how they're thinking about the coronavirus coverage that may be different than what sort of the Times or the Post is doing?
1: I mean, I guess there's, you know, there are broad things that are are very similar, which won't be a surprise. I mean, they're stressed resource-wise, they're stressed- financially ad revenues you know dropped by a huge amount but they i think in a way a lot of these publishers and news outlets are to some extent they're thinking differently about who they're serving and how because they are probably a lot closer to their communities than a lot of national um or or sort of global media entities are so they i think they think a little bit more about what they're kind of specific audiences are looking for. And and I think that shapes their coverage differently.
0: In these last few days, you've talked to people from the Arizona Republic, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Seattle Times, the Dallas Morning News, Salt Lake Tribune. I assume the coverage is different depending on the rate of infection in these communities.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel as though the kind of perspective, I mean, everyone's obviously concerned about it and everybody's writing about what's happening Elsewhere, but it feels like the you know a couple of outlets for example, said they they're still doing other coverage that isn't kind of all about coronavirus and then some places I think where it's more of an issue um, a, a kind of you know personal issue or immediate um, concern there everything is coronavirus like literally everything
0: and every reporter. We're also joined today by Kim Bowie from the Arizona Republic. Hello Kim.
2: Hello there.
0: Thank you for joining us.
2: Of course.
0: So what do you think about this question? Uh, what have you noticed or how have you, how has your n- newspaper even thought about approaching things differently in terms of your coverage than what you're seeing in some of the national coverage?
2: I think um, we were already very focused on serving our local community and we've had a lot of conversations over the past year Leading up to this and just, you know, as we watch the news world changing of like, how do we better serve our community? How do we be more representative? Um, how do we tell stories about daily life? And some of our teams uh, have gone through some new strategic planning. Um, I know my teams have and. Um, We have a new features director. Um, This is kind of the benefit of having a relatively new executive editor and a relatively new set of news directors. So we've been kind of evaluating our our coverage uh, and looking at what to do. I think the, the story nationally is not that different than like an most stories, right? So if you talk about homelessness on a national level, it's all about policy. It's all about kind of the wide-ranging problem. But if you zoom that all the way down to the local level, like what we're talking about is it's really hot here in the summer. Where do homeless people go?
0: Um,
2: And sort of the, the small intricacies that are changing, that people are noticing and don't seem to have answers to
0: what's the level of infection in Phoenix or in other cities in Arizona? Uh,
2: I think we pa- we just passed 400 cases and six deaths in the state of mm-hmm. Arizona, mm-hmm. which is relatively low. But however, we have been slow on the uptake on testing. Yeah. So we don't know how many tests are out. And like many states were relying more on private labs because the state labs couldn't keep up and, so there's a there's a, a fair amount of panic that the numbers are not real. Yeah. And that there are things that are being hidden. I mean, on top of that we also have the large indigenous population in Arizona. Yeah. And it is sort of clear but sort of not clear <laughs> whether those numbers are represented in the numbers that we're getting from the state.
0: Yeah. And then you have this huge retiree population too that's vulnerable.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that's been kind of a huge story for us, uh, we have a lot of snowbirds. Um, I mean, we're already a unique market in general, right? We, we More than any other markets, we have people that are here for part of the year and leave for part of the year. Um, maybe maybe Florida would be the only other state. Um, but in general, those we have a lot of people who feel like they're Arizonan, but also not Arizonan at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Um, And we have a lot of people in, you know, nursing homes and facilities, and that has already, you know, we keep a really close, close eye on that.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that really intrigued me about your conversation with Matthew on Galley was, and partly it's because of your job as audience engagement person there, but like how, how you really have tried to find ways to you know, give platforms to your audience to like help them, give them a platform where they can ask you questions, where you can figure out what's on their minds, where you can sort of, that, where you can use that to kind of help guide your coverage. What do you find that's working particularly well and that people are responding to?
2: Um, I had long wanted to try subtext and texting in general um, because I'm really interested in our state's large rural and um, not necessarily high-speed internet-connected population, and I had been looking for uh, a willing test subject for a long time, um, and I came up with one in myself uh, in this in this pandemic. So we've been doing texting with our readers, and it's been it's been really great. You know, I texted with a construction worker yesterday talking about why he has to go to work and how he feels about it, you know. Now, are
0: these uh, text text blasts or are you individual readers that you're texting with?
2: A little bit of both. So we have a list of, um, it's climbing about by a hundred a day. So I think it's about 600 now mm-hmm. people that sign up for these text blasts, but you can reply to it. And if you reply to the text, you get me or somebody else from our newsroom. Mm-hmm. And, and so we text back and back and forth, not, you know, unlike like I would text my brother, um, it just kind of starts with twice a day. Uh, we send out like some sort of useful text. Um, in the morning, it's almost always the numbers of infections and deaths. Uh, and then in the afternoon, I usually just like, choose something that I think is people need to know about or is interesting.
0: And how many? So you send that out. I know it probably varies by what the what the original text is, but what kind of response rate do you get? I mean, how many people follow up with questions that you end up or somebody on your staff ends up answering?
2: A a fair amount, actually, you know, for every text, I probably get at least 10, 15 texts back. Uh Some of them I get more. Uh, Interestingly, like over the weekend, I just asked, how are you doing? Uh Uh, I said, it's a gorgeous weekend. What are you, what are you doing? And, and people were so thought that was so nice. And were like, we're doing great, you know, we're just, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with our kids. How are you guys doing? And I'm like, oh, uh, thank you. It's been a long time since someone asked me how I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, so interesting. it's so interesting. that, And it really helps. I mean, I think this is what we've seen with emails. Like emails sort of personalize these news organizations because you can adapt a tone that's a little more conversational and a little more sort of user-friendly. Where, and text is even more so that way, right?
2: yeah. Yeah, and we're trying to cater to, at first I was a little bit worried about having so many ways for our audience to um, get coronavirus news. Uh, So we have a pop-up newsletter that we're doing um, as part of a a larger USA Today network pop-up newsletter around coronavirus initiative. Um, We are also...
0: uh, Is that a cat?
2: That is my cat. Sorry, she she enjoys joining podcasts. This is the um,
0: awesome thing about working from home,
2: yeah, right? <laughs> um, uh, so we have the we have a newsletter, we have the text, and then we also just have a form, um, which is a low-fi version of ask and answer. So
0: yeah.
2: um, it populates into a Google spreadsheet. So there are a lot of different ways, and people get different. Um, different levels of interaction, depending on how they choose to talk to us and different personalities, which is kind of, I think it's fun for them to see different parts of the newsroom.
0: Yeah. Matthew, I mean, this is one of these things where, I mean, this is a horrific chapter that we're going through right now, but I think this is one of these areas where this could be one of the lessons we learn from this moment. I mean, I I think we've, I've, I've long thought that newsrooms need to do a better job of talking to their readers and really creating a kind of two-way conversation, which hasn't really happened, and maybe maybe this will be the impetus that finally gets that thing off the ground once this is all over.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've I've been a big believer in that as well, and I've I've followed kind of everybody's attempts, sometimes half-hearted, to do that, whether it's reader comments or you know different uh, tools that have come along. And this, at least, I think makes it incredibly important. Whereas before you could, you could argue, well, it'd be nice if we had time or, you know, it'd be, it'd be great, but we have lots of other stuff to do. But, but I think it's, it's really, this sort of focuses you on, you know, the key question, which is, are you serving your readers? And the best way to know that is to talk to them and see if they think you are or not.
0: Matthew, what else have you seen? Is there anything else like this that popped out in your conversations that local papers are doing to check in with people or to give them very sort of, you know, sort of geographic specific information?
1: There's obviously local differences. So, for example, Boston.com, they had this thing called Vomo, which I had not heard of. And they it's, I guess, a plug in that you can put on a webpage. so they they put it in stories and you can it's effectively a way of connecting people who need help with people who, who can help. So it's a way of saying, putting your hand up and saying, Hey, I need someone to pick up something for me at the store. Or I need, you know, and then this app, I guess, lets people connect to do that, which I think is a great idea.
2: I think the Dallas morning news was also using that. I was looking at Uh, that earlier
0: today. Yeah, it could be them. Um, Kim, what do you think about this idea that we could finally, that because of, circumstances that forced us into this, we could finally now see news organizations break through in terms of finding ways to really communicate with people. Do you think this will stick?
2: I, I hope so, or at least give people ideas. What happens in many newsrooms, including ours, is we get stuck on like, oh, but if we're going to do that, we have to do it right um yeah. we have to do it as well as the new york times d- does it, or as well as the Washington Post does it yeah, and if it's not as good as that, then it's a failure and times like this you can you kind of there's no caution um and so you throw all of that to the wind and you just you say we're we're just gonna do this because this is what people need right now, and we're getting overwhelmed with the need and I'm, I'm also hoping that it opens doors to, for the audience to tell, to be more vocal with us about what they need yeah. and whether what we're doing is working for for them or not.
0: What is the thing that sticks out most where you found your coverage was just uh, or off or at least not doing enough of what people said that they really wanted more of?
2: Maybe not enough, but almost too much, right? So in in the beginning, like almost every other news outlet, we pretty much just took the whole newsroom and said, everybody's on a coronavirus beat for the next week or so. And we published, you know, in one week, 50, 100 URLs around coronavirus. And there was a point at which... Uh, you know we have this planning doc that i set up that just has all all of the stories that people are working on or have uh, have ideas for and i i just paused because i was getting so many people asking questions that i knew we had answered and then i'm looking for the answer for them in our coverage and I couldn't find it and yeah. i'm editing the coverage on a daily basis yeah so at that point I was like okay this the, we're we need to focus on updating existing stories. We need to focus on providing, you know, more navigation throughout these things. We can't just slam everything at this. We have to be more strategic about it. And mm-hmm. that has that has helped a little bit because I I am personally overwhelmed with information. You yeah. know, most of, my, most of my family is in California, and I've been trying to find useful stuff to send them, and it has been hard.
0: So is the newsroom completely remote now?
2: Yes. Um, we went remote a little bit after the whole NICAR positive testing yeah. situation because yeah. we had a bunch of people go to NICAR. And um, that kind of spurred Gannett as a whole to dictate a work from home yeah. Uh, atmosphere. Yeah.
0: Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you for Thank you for joining us.
2: No problem. This has been um, fun.
0: Yeah, Matthew, thank you. Oh, thanks. Um, You can read all of CJR's coverage of how journalism is responding to the coronavirus on our webpage, cjr.org. There is a landing page for all of our our corona coverage, which you can see on the homepage. You can click there. Also, as I mentioned this, originally the conversation between Matthew and Kim occurred on CJR's Galley, which you can reach. It's an app that you can reach uh, via the App Store. And you can follow our daily email newsletter the media today if you don't get it now you can get it by going to their website clicking on the newsletter and getting it through that thank you so much for listening see you next week